Good morning. I always enjoy coming back to Baylor where Judy and I invested an exciting part of our lives here on the campus and Baylor invested uh, so much in me. Being a graduate of the University of Arkansas and of Baylor, I kind of think of myself as a bear hog or a razor bear and uh, try to put that combination together and it's pretty exciting these days with uh, Baylor's successes as well as uh, ours back in Arkansas. Thank you, Truett Seminary, for hosting the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship uh, during these uh, times each year, this month, and uh, for partnering with us in ministry. This morning, I'd like to uh, dedicate my message to Jake's life and legacy. When an Arkansas governor was running for president, he posted a sign in the war room of his campaign headquarters that read, It's the economy, stupid. The governor knew what was most important, focused on it like a laser, and became our 42nd president. When it comes to passion, purpose, creativity, and leadership, it's the millennials, stupid. But in order to get to the millennials, we need to review a little history. On July 20, 1969, 8.17 and 36 seconds in the evening, a team of Nassau scientists between the ages of 25 and 39 put the first two human beings on the moon. The oldest person in Mission Control Houston that day was the flight director, and he was 35 years old. The other personnel in the room were between 25 and 28 years old. The astronauts were the oldest. Two of them were 38 and one was 39. A similar pattern happens when you look at religious leaders who are change agents. A Jewish girl named Mary was a teenager when an angel from on high delivered a message to her and she gave birth to a boy, and she and Joseph named him Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth was 30 years old when he recruited a motley crew of 12 to begin the most powerful movement in the world. From St. Francis of Assisi to Martin Luther to John Calvin to William Wilberforce, through Lottie Moon and Karl Barth and Dorothy Day and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr., all made their mark between the ages of 26 and 34. Fast forward to some baby boomers and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all made their mark in their 20s and as pastors in their 20s, Bill Hybels and Rick Warren broke away from a traditional tall steeple church format and started new paradigm churches for baby boomers which changed the landscape of church life and the ways that Christians mature in their faith, discipleship, and service. And what about millennials? Well, Mark Zuckerberg was 19 when he launched Facebook from his Harvard dorm. And Wael Ghanim is the 30-year-old Google employee who energized the pro-democracy demonstrations in Egypt that kick-started the Arab Spring. In our text from Scripture today, 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7, 
we see the Apostle Paul's letter to his protege. He calls him his dear son, Timothy, a young pastor in Ephesus. The veteran apostle, missionary, church planter, theologian is a prisoner in Rome. He knows he's facing the end of his ministry and the end of his life. He even writes later in this letter, the time of my departure is at hand. He has time to reflect and time to write. He has time to envision the future of the Jesus movement. And he sees the future in the life and the leadership of a young pastor named Timothy. They are so close that they have cried together. They are so close that when they are together, Paul says he is filled with happiness. And here in this brief paragraph in a letter, Paul affirms, blesses, and coaches Timothy in his ministry and his life. It is a powerful model of multi-generational leadership. First, Paul affirms Timothy's faith. He says, I'm reminded of your authentic faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I'm sure this faith is also inside you. Can I see a show of hands of those of you who were led to faith in Christ through the influence of your parents or your family. Many of us, not all of us, the world doesn't always work like that. The tapestry of life is so different and so rich. But for many of us, we have come to faith in Christ through our parents and our family. Grandparents and family hand down their genes their personalities, their wisdom, their possessions, their baggage, and sometimes their faith. But hand-me-down faith is not enough. Each of us has to choose it, claim it, and make it our own. That's when it becomes authentic faith. Paul could have wondered about Timothy's faith. He could have critiqued it here, but instead he says... He affirms his faith, even with a different shape and a different style, a different sound and a different sense. Paul affirms Timothy's faith and Paul so also coaches Timothy's passion and purpose. A lot of coaching is instructing and reminding. And so Paul says, I'm reminding you, rekindle, revive God's gift in you. Power love, and self-discipline. These sound like qualities that the apostle himself had to wrestle with in his own skin. Power, love, and self-discipline. But Paul didn't suffer from timidity, did he? But Timothy did. One trait that could neutralize the other three, the gifts from God. Timothy's timidity could have been due in part to his personality or due to his age or due to his level of experience or maybe due to the strength of the leaders around him. You know, the deacon chair, the finance chair, the biggest giver or the smallest giver. 
And so what we have here is Paul and Timothy modeling multi-generational leadership. Paul knows that he's not only passing on leadership to Timothy, he knows that he's in ministry leadership with Timothy. And that's a great insight. Because let's go back to Mission Control Houston, a case study in multi-generational leadership. 20 and 30-year-olds put human beings on the moon. Why has there not been a more dramatic development at NASA since then? Some theorize that it's because the 20s and 30s have stayed in charge at NASA and made it their careers and NASA has lost its age, its edge. And so I have an observation. An observation about businesses and organizations and institutions and churches. And it's this, that the age of the organization, the age of the church is the age of the trump card holders. The age of an organization is the age of the trump card holders. Those who ultimately say what the organization is and what it does and what it will not do. The organization's age is their age. And just as there are life cycles to a human life, there is a life cycle to an organization's life. And the season of life of an organization mirrors the age of its leaders. Now, I know there's complexity and nuance to what I'm saying here. This isn't a hard and fast rule. There are contexts in organizations and in leaders that make a difference. But in general, I think the principle applies. So what can this look like in a congregation, in the life of a congregation? David Wood is a 52-year-old pastor in Illinois. He's posted a blog entitled, Do Not Despise Your Youth. And in his blog, he writes this observation about our current congregational life in America. He says, today in many churches, conditions are rotten for young leaders. We are in danger of squandering the creative edge and inventive imagination without which congregational life becomes a bastion of cultural self-preservation. More often than not, Young seminary graduates find themselves placed in congregations where the elders are yearning for growth and recovery. But that yearning is matched, if not exceeded, by an anxiety that change will leave them feeling like aliens in a foreign land. Too often that anxiety trumps the yearning for growth and change. And this reality can create the conditions where the young feel despised even when no one ever intends for that to be so. Congregational life, he continues, has been characterized by too much talk about the importance of congregational history and not enough talk about congregational responsibility to let old things pass away. Perhaps youthful leaders' capacity to make the case for innovation and experimentation would grow if congregations were genuinely 
inviting of such a process. And he concludes, the church must learn how not to fear the emerging role of young leaders. And so, you know, I wish we had a letter from Timothy to Paul. What would that have looked like? What would that have sounded like? Um, We do have some letters today from millennials. You may have seen the YouTube post by Jefferson Bethke. It's a poem entitled, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. Four minutes and four seconds long, 2.5 million hits in two days. I think it should be required listening for every church, denominational, and faith-based leader. And then there's the voice of another millennial. Maybe you read the blog in the Washington Post on a faith blog by a 31-year-old Thomas Day. Day is an Iraqi war veteran, a Penn State graduate, a Catholic, a native of State College, Pennsylvania, an acquaintance of Jerry Sandusky's and a product of his Second Mile Foundation. And writing about the Penn State scandal, Thomas Day described his connection with it like this. I was never harmed by Sandusky, but I could have been. When I was 15, my mother, then looking for a little direction for her teenage son, introduced me to the Second Mile Friend Fitness Program. It was a program resembling Big Brother Big Sisters with a weekly exercise regimen. Instead of Sandusky's care, I was sent to a group of adults, many of whom were in their 20s. They took me from a C-minus student into the University of Chicago, where I'm a master's student today. They took this football team's water boy and made a 101st Airborne Division soldier out of me. I was one of the lucky ones. My experience with Second Mile was a good one. I should feel fortunate, blessed even, that I was never harmed. Yet instead, this week, speaking about the week that the story broke several months ago, has left me deeply shaken. Wondering what will come of the foundation, the university, and the community that made me into a man. One thing I know for certain, Day writes, a leader must emerge from Happy Valley to tie our community back together again, and it won't come from our parents' generation. They have failed us. Over and over and over again. I speak not specifically of our parents, he says. I have two loving ones. But of the public leaders our parents' generation has produced. With the demise of my own community's two most revered leaders, I have decided to continue to respect my elders, but to politely tell them out of my way. They have had their time to lead. Time's up. I'm tired of waiting for them to live up to their obligations. He then goes into a sharp social critique of our culture 
and our leadership crisis. And he concludes his post with these words about leadership. This failure of a generation is as true in the halls of Congress as it is at Penn State. Perhaps the most vivid illustration this week of our leaderless culture came with the riots in State College that followed Paterno's dismissal. You remember that scene. The display resembled Lord of the Flies. Without revered leaders from the older generation to lead them, Day writes, thousands of students at one of the country's best state universities acted like children home alone. We do have a crisis on our hands of leadership in our culture. And we are facing a marvelous opportunity to lead together. I'm grateful that in CBF life, we are working hard to model multi-generational leadership. We partner with 15 theological seminaries and divinity schools with over 2,000 students uh, to be a part of the next generation of ministry in the kingdom of God around the world. Under Pastor George Mason's leadership at Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas up the road, their pastoral residency program invites seminary graduates to come in for two years and learn how to lead within the life of a congregation. And they've produced over 20 young leaders through the pastoral residency program and have added a summer internship program to their offerings. Colleen and David Burroughs, 20 years ago, started Passport, a ministry to give mission experiences to children and youth and to give leadership experiences in missions to students. 20 years later, over 81,000 children and youth have had a mission camp experience with Passport. And over 700 students have been trained as new generation leaders. CBF started Student.Go, an internship program for college students to work a semester in a mission point somewhere around the world. And in these 10 years, over 440 students have been a Student.Go intern and served around the world in ministry and learned leadership. And Amy Derrick, who is here today, Amy, where are you? Amy is looking for 50 to 60 new interns this year uh, to go in student.go. Three years ago, CBF started a summer church-based internship for college students, and Wanda Kidd leads this initiative. And Wanda, where, where are you? There you are, Wanda. And uh, first year, 97 students. Second year, 93. You're wanting to put 100 students, college students in congregations around the country this year. And the amazing feedback from this ministry is that over 40% of these college interns have discovered a call from God to ministry in their lives.
In Arkansas, we partner with CBF uh, and Together for Hope, uh, a rural poverty initiative, a 20-year commitment to the 20 poorest counties in the U.S. We have two of them in eastern Arkansas and the Delta along the Mississippi River. And Together for Hope Arkansas is 10 years old and our first generation's uh, leaders just left and moved to San Antonio to be a part of Together for Hope here in Texas. But before they left, they groomed two young, recent college graduates named Catherine Bond and Molly Palmer who started out as student.go interns in Helena, Arkansas. These two young ladies with journalism and marketing majors are loaded with a calling from God, a heart for people, a passion for being the presence of Christ in the world, and vision and intuition and skills beyond their years. The apostle, who lived into maybe his mid to late 60s, was on to something when he poured his wisdom and experience and his blessing and his affirmation and his support into a young pastor who was most likely in his 30s. And that young pastor, gifted with power and love and self-discipline, was on to something when he forged a relationship with a mentor like that. And that's the chemistry of multi-generational leadership that the kingdom of God is looking for today. Pray with me. Lord of the call to ministry, create in those of us who are older and those of us who are younger a chemistry of servant leadership in your kingdom that enables us to be the presence of Christ in the world. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray, we serve, and we lead. Amen.